Welcome to ETF TV News, your update on newly issued exchange-traded funds and products. I'm Dan Barnes. Joining me today are Willem Keogh, Head of Passive and ETF Investment Analytics at UBS Asset Management in Switzerland. And we're going to be discussing demand for ESG ETFs and what SFDR means to investors. And of course, also Deborah Fur from ETF GI is going to be giving us an update on newly issued products. Deborah, welcome to the show. Thank you. Can you tell us what we've seen over the previous week in terms of new issues? Yeah, last week was very busy. We had 45 new listings. That's the highest so far this year. 34 new cross listings. They were from 25 different issuers on 11 exchanges. Two were focused on commodities. Two were digital currencies. One fixed income and 40 equity. There was, again, a focus on thematics. We've also seen that continuing focus on ESG, including UBS, which did an S&P 500 elite ESG product last week. William, let's turn to you. Can you tell us what's been the demand for ESG ETFs in Europe and how has that been evolving? So I think we've seen during 2020 that there's been very strong demand for ESG ETFs. I would say an increasingly strong demand. So we saw for the whole year basically inflows of equity ESG ETFs of around $40 billion. And compared to non-sustainable equity products, which only had an inflow of $26 billion. And this was also driven by COVID, which saw quite a lot of outflows in core equities during the start of the pandemic. And what we've seen this year is equity and fixed income ESG ETFs have already raised nearly $19 billion in AUM, while non-sustainable inflows are around $21 billion. So we're nearly at a 50-50 ratio at this point in time, which I would say shows you how the sustainable ETFs have really taken off over the last couple of years. Last week was also important in terms of the SFDR regulations coming into uh, force in terms of reporting. You know, SFDR is designed to provide greater transparency on the degree of sustainability of financial products. Which products, Willem, are covered by SFDR and what does it mean for investors? So I think if we look at this regulation, Debbie, we see that it is trying to harmonize rules for financial market participants and financial advisors, particularly around transparency on how sustainable risk has been integrated and what uh, adverse sustainable impacts, how they have been addressed in, in financial products. And I think the most important part of this is sustainable related information and how that it is disclosed. So if we look at the kind of products that have been impacted, I mean, this is the full spectrum of products, right? So anything from a usage ETF to a pension fund, basically anything that has to do with investments is now being covered. I think the most important part from an investor perspective now is that the disclosure and the transparency that SFDR brings can now allows an investor basically at first glance to see whether a financial product is sustainable or not, and then also which degree of sustainability has been integrated into this product. So there's Article 6, 8, and 9. Can you help us understand the differences between those? If we start off with a very rough rule of thumb, you could say that Article 6 products are uh, basically, uh, you can break it into two parts, a part that says ESG or um, sustainability is not considered at all, or if you have an, an ESG risk consideration, which is integrated. If you then take a step up to Article 8, this is where you are promoting 
ESG or sustainable products, where there is a clear integration of good governance and of ESG as we know it. And then in Article 9 is basically, you know, the top tier where we're talking about very clear sustainable objectives, talking about impact investing, and then obviously the products that are aligned from a Paris aligned perspective. So just as an example, a Paris aligned benchmark, you have to reduce the carbon footprint by 50%. And then on an annual basis, you have to meet a 7% decarbonization path. So on an annual basis, you have to meet these criteria. It's measurable. It is very clear and everybody knows exactly what they are invested in. How would we see most ESG ETFs in terms of how they would be classified? So what we can see at the moment, I would say that most of the ESG ETFs would fall into Article 8, something like the MSCI SRI Low Carbon Select Indices. We've developed together with MSCI. And then, as you've mentioned earlier, we have launched the second part of our ESG or S&P ESG integration. The first was our S&P 500 ESG, and the second has now been the S&P 500 ESG Elite, which follows a much stricter approach in terms of ESG integration. And then when it comes to Article 9, we currently have one example like that in our UBS offering, which is a climate transition benchmark, follow, which follows a selective UBS climate-aware global development equity CTB index. That's great. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. So Debbie, turning to you, can you give us a bit more colour on some of the new products we saw launched over the previous week? Granite Shares has launched 14 new ETPs here in London. They are on baskets of tech companies. They're leveraged and they're inverse. So I think that's a significant number of new launches. I mean, there's weeks when we've only seen 14 products come to market. We've also seen another Bitcoin product launched in Canada. And we saw Ethereum launched here in Europe. So I think we've seen a significant year in terms of growth in assets, growth in net inflows, and product launches so far. That's great. Thank you very much, Debbie. Thank you.